Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, today, I do want to talk to you about protecting your Christianity. How to maintain our walk with Christ, how to keep our faith, how to increase our faithfulness, or possibly how to persevere in a world that is filled with antichrist, detours and perversions in every direction, false doctrines, easy schemes on paving your way straight to heaven, and before you get there, you will be the most wealthy, the most healthy person that ever walked the earth. Well, we all know that those are lies and nothing brings us closer to Christ than reading and understanding God's word and the truth of it. I remember last year, almost to the date, that one of the first messages of the year that Andre and Han and Pastor delivered was on contentment. And uh, that word on contentment struck a chord with Linda and I. Something Contentment is something that you always strive to achieve. And just when you think you've achieved it, you realize that you haven't. Andre explained last year that contentment was not the absence of relational conflicts, but it was the presence of trust in God's sovereignty. Linda and I were certainly tested on that last year, as I'm sure many of you were. My hope as we go through this message today is that we can use it as a foundation for 2023 as a message early on in the year that we can build on. So how do we maintain and persevere? Well, I already mentioned, read your Bible and stay in the Word. 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Listen, church, to all of us, we should be all about the truth. The truth is the most important thing that exists. By the truth, we're saved from hell. By the truth, we're sanctified by the purpose of God. By the truth, we're given strength. By the truth, we're comforted, we're encouraged. Truth should matter to all of us more than anything. One more thing. All rational people, and we're all rational, right? So all rational people care about the laws of nature and science. They care greatly about them. They'll do anything they can to insulate themselves from the harm brought on by violating them. But when it comes to the spiritual part of reality, the world of sinners is eager to split that reality and believe in absolute truth in the physical world, but reject it in the moral, spiritual world. They're secure in that for one primary reason, and it's this. The consequences of violating spiritual and moral law are not as immediate 
as the consequences of violating natural law. You could be a perverted, lying thief for 30 years and still be alive. And if you jump off a 10-story building, you won't be alive any longer than it takes you to hit the ground. Natural laws, consequently, are so immediate that people will not argue against it. But when it comes to the spiritual, people will argue because God is a God of mercy and he allows sinners to survive and even enjoy common grace. I said all that to say, stay in the word. I get all worked up about it when it comes to truth. It hits close to home because Linda and I were deceived for over 12 years. Of course, we take all the blame for it. And I don't want that to happen to anyone else. I see in some cases people leaving churches because the truth is preached. And others running to that same church because the truth is being preached. Either people really want the truth or they run from it. Number two, be dedicated in prayer. Proverbs 15.8 says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Number three, rely on the Holy Spirit. Heed to conviction in our lives. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says this, And this I pray, that, you, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I think the key word is there when we rely on the Holy Spirit for conviction in our lives is discernment. We need to discern right from wrong and know the truth when we make decisions in our life. Number four, attend church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Number five, be a witness for Christ. Luke 12, 8 through 9. Jesus says, and I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Number six, be obedient, teachable, and humble. Psalm 25, 4, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Number seven, learn to deal with temptations and recognize sin trying to sway you. The best example I could think of there was Christ when he was tempted. He pulled out the scripture and the enemy fleed from him. Number eight, keep healthy relationships with like-minded people. Job 15.34 says, For the company of the godless is barren. When you spend 
time and a lot of time trying to build relationships with godless God-haters, the fruit that's going to come out of it is going to be nothing. Number nine, learn to become content in all things. Every one of these points are vital in maintaining a healthy Christian walk, enduring to the end, and it requires faithfulness, as is the case when Paul told Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. And here Christ talking to the church at Ephesus in Revelations, he says, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Okay, so at this point, I've given you nine ways for us to persevere, to maintain, strengthen our faith and our faithfulness. So maybe many of you have checked most of those boxes, maybe all of them, maybe just a few. But here's what I want to ask you. What does keep you so dedicated if you've checked most of those boxes? Why do you continue to persevere? Certainly can't be because you're going to tell me you're such a good person. We know that that's not right. Let me make a simple comment. It's nothing that we haven't heard before, and I'll make it personal to me. If it were possible for me to lose my salvation, I would lose it. I would have lost it many times over. I just want to talk about that a little bit. That's not, that hasn't always been my doctrine. For many years, I felt that salvation could be lost. But now, after reading the Word and getting into the Word, finding out what it really means to be saved, my doctrine has changed. So I want to talk a little bit about doctrine right now. I want to try and establish something. Try and follow me on this. I want to take you back to a year, 1644, the year was West, the place was Westminster Abbey. The room was called the Jerusalem Room. The greatest theological minds and biblical scholars in England with lords and commissioners. They spent five years of intense study, five years of discussion to produce a statement of doctrine true to the scripture and faithful to the gospel. Five years later in 1649, they had completed what became the most familiar Westminster Confession of Faith. And the creed of that statement is called the security of salvation, also known as the preserving of the saints or the persevering of the saints. All three of those are common descriptions that you will hear for that doctrine. And here it is. In chapter 17, section 1, it says this. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from a state of grace, but shall certainly persevere then in the end and be eternally saved. 
Scripture is full of promises that led to that statement. Scripture is clear on the perseverance of the saints. That those who are truly saved will be brought into eternal glory. So I hope I'm not losing one al anyone along the way here, trying to be slow and talk about this. The reason um, that my doctrine was not exactly right is I saw many people enter into churches, people that I thought were saved, that just left the church and it seemed like they were no longer serving Christ. That's where the confusion came in. Let me go through a few scriptures here. In John 6.37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. In John 39, Jesus says this, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And in 44 of John, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Church, the reason you are continuing to persevere and maintain your walk is because not only have you been called, but the sanctification process which must happen in a believer's life is taking place. This is a sign that you have eternal security. 1 Thessalonians, verse 23, 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like to continue regarding the doctrine of eternal security. And I want to explain to you that according to Scripture, we have three salvation experiences. These Scriptures will help us understand better. Ephesians 2, 8-10. This is a very um, well-known Scripture. I'm sure you're aware of it. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. So the faith, that is used there to believe that we were saved by grace, through faith, God gave us that faith. We're not talking about natural faith. The faith that you're using right now, that that chair is going to hold you up. We're not talking about human faith. The faith that when you walk on a lake after it's frozen, that you're not going to fall through. We're not talking about that kind of faith. The faith that you use when a doctor tells you to take medication, no, we're talking about a supernatural ability to believe the truth concerning God and the gospel throughout the entirety of your lives. 
Never do we cease to believe. It is not apart from our own will, but by divine power. That's the faith we're talking about. It activates our will and we remain steadfast, not passive, but active in the persevering. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So that's our second saving experience according to Scripture. First, we're justified by the works done by Christ on the cross when he takes our sin in exchange, we get his righteousness. And the second one is now the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, which continues to work in us as we walk through our Christian walks with Christ. We're being saved. This explained so much to me, this one right here, because I can't tell you how many times in Bible class I'd go through maybe a week or two and after that week or two, I would talk to Linda and say, you know what? I think I just got saved again. Well, this scripture proves it. I did. Because I'm being saved. As we go along, we're continuing to be saved. Right? And here we go with Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. This is the final salvation experience. When we take on our next life and we take on our glorified bodies, that's what that's talking about. That's the final salvation experience. The preserving of the saints is not the same as once saved, always saved. We're not taking into account the full scope of salvation throughout our lives. Once saved, always saved means somebody's holds your hand and prays with you and you're saved. No. That's not what we're talking about here. We've been justified by the work of Christ on the cross. We're being sanctified now as we follow Christ and we will one day be saved, glorified in our day of the Lord. You cannot claim to be saved unless you are being sanctified. Romans 11.29 says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So once God gives you that faith, okay, he's not taking that gift away. You can be secure in that. This is good news, church. And again, there's that verse, Ephesians 2.8, For the grace... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now listen, perseverance does not mean that we do not fail in our lives. And we don't fail in our obedience. Because the moral will is there for us, Okay, and we will obey it or we won't obey it. We have that choice. And I'll be the first to say I fail in my obedience many times to obey that moral will. 
In other words, perseverance in the faith does not mean perfection. I want to open up the door there and let a little air out so we can all relax a little bit, right? Okay, we don't have to walk. I'm not saying we have to walk this perfect life. The doctrine of perseverance essentially is that the life that is from God is permanent. The gift of eternal life is permanent. It is a gift of sovereign grace. It is a gift of mercy. That's why Jesus said, He that endures to the end, the same will be saved. Security in Christ is tied to perseverance. So now I want to take a brief look and give you an example in the New Testament of really somebody that was a huge failure. As a matter of fact, a colossal failure at one time in his life. And I'm talking about the Apostle Peter. It was Peter. Actually, let me just say this. It's remarkable that in verse 16 of Matthew 16, Peter, Peter said, after being questioned by Jesus about who do people say that the Son of Man is, Peter's response was, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So even Jesus was amazed at Peter's response. Then in verse 21, just five verses later, in Matthew 16, Jesus begins to tell his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and raised up on the third day. And Peter took the Lord aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And in verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Peter is proof that, proof that a true believer can stumble, but not fail. Well, let's go some more on Peter. In Luke 22, 54 to 62, you could read it for yourself. I'm not going to read through the whole scripture, but this is the scripture that describes where Peter actually denied Christ three times. A servant girl seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him said, This man was with him too, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. So here Peter is walking his three years with Christ while he was on this earth, seeing all the miracles, everything that Jesus had done for them. And right at the end of Christ's life, Fear gripped Peter, and he amazingly denied him three times. Well, 
I don't really have a blow-by-blow, month-by-month um, explanation of what happened to Peter over the next, uh, let's see, over the next 25 to 30 years. But after Christ went to the cross, he was raised up and went into heaven. Here we see Peter, which was our reading today. We see Peter writing the epistles of 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And he was encouraging the people, the Christians at that time, because we were in 62 to 65 A.D., a time when Nero was reigning in Rome. He was encouraging the Christians to persevere, to have faith, reminding them of their eternal life that they will be spending with Christ. Here Nero had started a fire in Rome and all the blame was, and then he blamed the Christians. And there was tremendous persecution coming the Christians' way. Many of them were being lit up as streetlights and on fire. And I'm just going to read it one more time as Pastor read it. Listen, because now that you know, okay, that what was going on there, the persecution coming, and here's Peter trying to encourage the Christians. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fight away, reserved in heaven for you. So Peter had the revelation that he had the eternal security and he was trying to remind the other Christians of that day of their eternal security. who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, we at Christ Nation hope you found this message meaningful. You greatly rejoice. Please feel free to share it with anyone that you think needs to hear it. We hope you can join us soon for a Sunday experience. For more information, please visit www.christnation.com. After all the failure Thank you, and God bless that he had endured and the persecution, here he is writing to us about perseverance. Based on Scripture, none of the Lord's disciples, except Judas, stumbled more miserably than Peter. Peter is proof that a true believer can stumble but not fail. Peter went out after his denials of Christ and wept bitterly. This must have been a time of great growth for Peter. 
How many people know here that through our missteps, through our failures, that's a time of great growth when we humble ourselves before the Lord? It's exactly what happened to Peter here. Peter's life, This must have been a time of humility and growth in Peter's life to be reminded of how he had lived through the persevering life that God had given him and experienced experience the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit until the end of his life. Peter had an undying love for the Lord, enough to be crucified upside down because he thought himself to be unworthy to be crucified the way Christ was crucified. The criteria by which a believer is distinguished is not by a prayer or a profession. It is perseverance. Peter talks about born again. That's regeneration. We have been given life. And the Bible is clear. There's no question about it. It's eternal life. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. So if whoever knows that they've been given eternal life, Jesus isn't going to take it away. Peter is proof that in spite of our colossal failures, that if we humble ourselves with teachable spirits, we can grow through those failures. Now it may seem to you that I've used Peter as an example to show us that Christians can fail and that perseverance does not equal perfection, which I have mentioned, and it is true. But the real reason I've used Peter today as an example was to show you that through all the hurt and disappointment he endured and all the persecution he went through, the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit was evident to the end of his life. He persevered until the end. As I bring this message to completion, I want to challenge us all with this today. What are we doing with the calling of God in our lives and the irrevocable gift of faith? Have we made a decision to persevere until the end? Or are we secure enough with where we stand before Christ today? Sure, we'll stand in that white throne judgment and make it to heaven. But is that where you're going to be content with? Because remember, your obedience to the moral will is what you're going to lay down before Christ in exchange for your rewards. So I want to commend you today. I want to commend this church today for persevering. But I also want to challenge you that it's not over. Endure to the end. Amen.